Perverted, brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another thrilling episode of Afro Verdict. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and today I have a truly special episode in store for you as we celebrate the birth anniversary of a legendary figure who revolutionized the world of medicine. And of course, I'm talking about Dr. Christian Barnard, the pioneer of cardiac surgery. Dr. Barnard, a South African cardiovascular specialist born on the 8th of November 1922, made history on December the 3rd, 1967, when he successfully performed the world's first human heart transplant. This groundbreaking achievement not only made South Africa a leader in cardiology, but also gave hope to countless patients around the world. Now, to pay homage to this remarkable man and his life-changing contributions, we are honored to have with us two incredible guests who will share unique insights. First off, we'll be speaking with the curator of the Heart of Cape Town Museum in South Africa, dedicated to Dr. Barnard. And through this interview, you know, we aim to get a deeper understanding of Dr. Barnard's life and his pioneering work in the field of heart transplants. And then second, or right after that coming up, will be joined by a leading cardiologist in South Africa who will provide us with insights on the current state of cardiology across the continent. We'll also explore the challenges that the continent faces within this field and gain insight on the innovations and developments that are currently emerging. So sit back and enjoy this really fascinating journey into the world of cardiology with me, where we will discover the true power of the heart and the impactful legacy of the late but great Dr. Christian Barnard. Cindy, thank you for joining Afro Verdict. Can you tell us about the early life of Dr. Christian Barnard and what sparked his interest in medicine? Thank you for having me here, Victor. Christian Barnard grew up in a very small town here in South Africa, a Karoo town, and um, his father was a preacher and his mother was an organist. And um, they had... So of their children, their children did very well. So two of them became doctors, including Chris, and one of them became an engineer. So they did very well. Um, their mother really pushed them to do well at school and to excel wherever they could. And uh, that drove Chris. And uh, he wanted to be a doctor. And then, of course, um, he lost one of his siblings at 18 months due to heart complications, which obviously sent him into the cardiac division. So that is what inspired him to become a cardiothoracic surgeon. Wow, that's um, that's a very powerful message, I think, in the sense that terrible loss of a loved one could come out as a means of saving thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives, hey? Yeah, yeah. And uh, tell us about his career. How did his career progress? Uh, Chris Barnard was a very, very hardworking man. Um, he started off, I mean, when he went to the US to obtain his PhD degree, um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but he actually obtained his PhD in two years instead of six. So he's extremely driven. And um, I think that helped him very much here to accomplish what he did, because um, I do I do believe uh, personally that there was a bit of a race um, amongst Chris and some doctors in the US at that time to see who could perform this heart transplant um, successfully. And um, I do think that Chris's drive and his hard work is why he exceeded as well. 
he was determined. Yeah, definitely. I read about that. There was some some hard competition then amongst US yeah. doctors as well. Yeah. So three days after Chris Barnard performed this first heart transplant, um, a doctor in America, Dr. Adrian Kantrovitz, he actually performed the world's second heart transplant, but it wasn't successful. Oh, well, that's unfortunate, but that's one for South Africa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you said, Dr. Barnard is famous for performing the first successful heart transplant in history. Can you give us a bit more detail of the events leading up to the historic surgery and its impact on the field of medicine? The first patient that Chris operated on, his name was Louis Washkansky. And he was a patient here at Krutiskir Hospital. Um, he'd been in and out of hospital for about three months when Chris approached him and asked him if he's willing to have the surgery done. So um, this patient only had 20% of his heart capacity, which means that he was in other organ failure before Chris operated on him. And um, he agreed, obviously, to have the surgery done. And then the waiting for a donor um, was put in place. So Chris got his team together, his heart transplant team. He had two teams, actually, one donor theater team and one recipient theater team. And um, he put everybody into place and then the wait for a donor had had come along. And um, he approached the ER of the hospital because he thought that that would be the best place to obtain a donor was, was through the ER. And he notified them of his need for a heart. And um, on the 2nd of December, 1967, is when Denise Darvel, our first heart donor, um, she had just bought herself a little Ford Anglia and she wanted to take her parents out for a drive. So she came driving along in front of the hospital in the main road and um, they stopped to purchase a caramel cake and her and her mother were tragically knocked over by a drunk driver that Saturday afternoon. And um, Denise's mum, she unfortunately passed away at the scene and Denise was brought here to Hrutiski and she was declared brain dead later that evening. And that's how she became our first heart donor. So her heart was still beating, um, but she was brain dead. And this is where Chris Barnard became so famous because he said, when we think of life, we think of the heart because the heartbeat is what represents life. However, when the brain is dead, there's no more life. And um, he, that, was a, that was quite a bold statement back then. Considering in 1967, there was still an international law that said you couldn't do a death declaration on a patient if they had a heartbeat. So um, Chris did get a lot of hate. In our museum, we actually have some of that hate mail uh, that he received. Some people addressed him as the butcher of Hrotiskir Hospital. But um, quite a lot that led up to this first heart transplant. But that's how we, that's how we got our first donor, is she was tragically part of a, an accident and she was declared brain dead. And um, how did he deal with, um, with this negativity and were there any legal complications? No, no. So, so back then when, when Louis, because Louis Washkansky, our first patient, he only lived for 18 days. And when he died, Chris obviously had to answer some questions. All right. So um, Chris immediately flew to the UK where they had quite a, an interview with him there. It's, it's actually available on YouTube. It's called Barnard Faces His Critics. 
And there he had numerous doctors from all around the world that came together to absolutely like question him. And, and he dealt with that very well. That interview is available online if you'd like to look at that. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot. Um, I think I'll do that differently. How did Dr. Barna then continue to contribute to the medical community after the success of the heart transplant? Well, Chris uh, continued to operate for many years after the first heart transplant. Um, his first patient uh, lived for um, 18 days, his second patient for 18 months, his third patient for 20 months. I mean, his sixth patient lived for 23 years. So he continued um, working. Um, however, he, he enjoyed working with children. That was actually the highlight of his career um, is he loved working with children. So two days of the week, he worked here at our hospital at Khrushchev. And then for two days of the week, he worked at Red Cross Children's Hospital. Oh, wow. And uh, in what area uh, did he work with the kids? Cardiac. Oh, cardiac as well. Okay. 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 Yes. Yeah. What challenges do you think or can you recall that uh, Dr. Bernard faced during his career and how did he overcome them? Because, uh, for example, I heard that he, he had some problems in his family. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> Chris was known to be the ladies' man. <laughs> So um, he was married three times and he was divorced three times. And um, his third wife actually put it beautifully into words. She said that um, Chris Barnard could never have gotten married um, because he didn't belong to a wife. He belonged to everybody in the world that needed him. That was his personality. And he did choose his job over his family um, on numerous occasions, which did, which which did make it very difficult for him. But I'm sure other doctors would be able to relate to that too. Yeah, probably. Hey, I have some uh, doctor friends, and yeah, I just remember this one one event when we were at a at a we wouldn't call it a party, but it was a get together, and my friend just jumped yeah. jumped out of nowhere and said, "I gotta go," and he just left without saying yeah. a word. And he was one of the you know the the party was sort of organized for him. And he just stood up and disappeared. So everyone was sort of wondering yeah. what what could have happened. And he said, no, I just had a call out to go check with my colleagues for work. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. So yeah. they marry their job, they marry their patients, and that does become important. And um, so that is exactly what happened to Chris. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think we should really be grateful to them because I'm sure that they understand how difficult it is. It's not a, It's not an easy yeah, thing to do. Of course, we still have dealings with a cardiothoracic surgeon here, um, and uh, he's retired now. But in his retirement, he's performed more heart transplants than what he did when he was actually working. So I guess these surgeons, they, they marry their job and they don't really take up any hobbies. So when they go on retirement, I don't think they know how to keep themselves busy. <laughs> so they work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. They have to keep transplanting. Can you speak to the legacy of uh, Dr. Christian Barnard and how he's remembered in South Africa and well, worldwide as well? Okay. So we have the museum here in Cape Town called the Heart of Cape Town Museum. We're actually situated in the Grotesker Hospital. And the museum is actually the original theatres where Chris Barnard performed the operation. So um, with all its original equipment... We have Madame Tussauds, the Wax Museum in London, that have recreated the scenes for us here in the museum. And um, we really walk you through the beginning, where it all started, how we got our donor, the drama that led up to the heart transplant. We take you into theatre. 
we we explain to you what happened there and um then we take you into Louis Washkansky's recovery room and we walk through his healing process and how he passed away so we relive this first heart transplant every day here at the museum and um we try and share that experience with as many people as we can because it was it was a it was a great um operation and uh Christian Barnard was a exceptional man and a hard working doctor and he should be remembered for this and um it's our job here at the museum to keep that legacy alive i've actually been to to your museum in 2012 probably yeah i was yeah, yeah i was in grade i was in grade 7 back then and uh, we had a school trip organized to to grotesker hospital not only there uh, it was a, it was a range of places we went to the zoo and to some other spots yeah but the yeah, yeah the grotesker museum was one of them i remember i think you guys show a movie at the end hey or part of a movie that's correct yeah yeah that's yeah that's correct where where we actually let chris do the talking so the guy does the talking through the museum and then we let chris take over yes. at the end. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. remember now. We have many great sixes and sevens that visit us here. Um so those slots, the morning slots are extremely busy, but that's because the story is actually part of our history at school. So it's in our curriculum. So our kids are actually writing exams about this at the end of the year. Yeah, that's great. I think kids should be taught the history and especially it's it's a very unique thing yeah. for South Africa as well, you know. It's a donation from South Africa to the whole world. Definitely. And it motivates our kids. Sure, sure. No, of course, by all means, by all means it does. What's the high school's name? Hopefield High School. Oh, yes. Hopefield, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. from the, yeah, I graduated that school, finished it in 2017. Ah, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, uh, you never know if you're hosting this uh, museum event for young little Chris Barnard at the end of the day. We d- we don't only hope to motivate the children that visit us, but we hope to inspire the doctors that come here too. Oh, you guys get uh, doctor visitors as well. Plenty doctors, professors. Okay, okay, that's nice. All over the world. What countries have you had recently that came to see? We're very big in Germany. Very big. <laughs> Germany, Netherlands, US, Russia. Yeah. Seriously. Wow. Russia also visits us. Yeah. Interesting. Um and uh, the UK. So yeah, from all over. We a majority of our guests are are foreign guests. Okay. Okay. No, of course. I mean, I would imagine if the kids learn about it at school then yeah. Is the larger percentage of your visitors are they adults or kids? Um adults. Adults. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine because yeah. it would probably be a bit weird for a kid to go and want to see uh how the first human successful heart transplant took place yeah. yeah mostly adults and student doctors and so on yeah yeah how does the heart of cape town museum celebrate and honor the achievements of dr barnard and what can visitors expect to learn about him during their visit to your museum everything from a to z everything <laughs> <laughs> so when you arrive here when we tell our guests that we've got an hour and a half um to 2 hours on tour with them they often don't know what to expect because that's a long time but we share from when he was a little boy right up until the day he passed away which was in 2001 and we walk the whole journey with him and um that video that you refer to is is also a very big part of our tour because that sort of lets you into his world you know his perspective and um the fact that the, we keep the doors open and we keep that legacy and that drive of his alive i think i think it's i think it's a big deal 
Cindy, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on air and sharing, you know, Dr. Barnard's biography with us. Now to get a wider scope on cardiology, in South Africa and across Africa in general. We're now joined by Dr. Professor Pindiles Kiepers Mtwa to discuss the state of cardiology in South Africa, across Africa, and what challenges African countries face, you know, when it comes to cardiac care. And also to touch on the role that Russian specialists can play in helping African countries out. Dr. Mtwab, welcome to AfroVerdict. Thank you so much for joining me today. Professor, what is your view on the progress made in the development of cardiology in Africa over the past decade? I think Africa in the last decade regarding cardiology, it has progressed in a very unequal way. There are areas of Africa which have developed and whilst there are areas which have not developed much. For instance, if you look at North Africa, those areas, due to their proximity to Europe, they are far advanced. And if you come down, you find that South Africa, also because of its affiliation and association with the European Cardiology Society, it has advanced. Whilst you look, when you look at the areas like Lesotho, Mozambique, and Switzerland, they are not that developed. How significant do you think is the input of African cardiologists into the science and practice of cardiology globally? Even this question, it talks to certain areas in Africa, but not Africa as a whole, where, for instance, as I said, the North African countries, together with South Africa at the tip of the continent, they are making great strides in terms of cardiology globally. I'll give you an example as to why I'm saying this. If you look at the study of pericardial diseases, South Africa has been amongst the leading countries and the cardiologists in this country were amongst the leaders in the study of pericardial diseases, starting from the registry, the MP trial, and the MP2 trial, which looked at patients who have immune suppression being given either an anti-TB drugs as well as steroids. So therefore, I think in that essence, there are certain African countries have made strides in terms of practice of cardiology globally. However, where I think as Africa we have failed, it's in the area of rheumatic fever. Despite all of all our strides in trying to create greatest awareness, starting off with the Drug Inspect Declaration of 2012-13, where we came up with the ASAP, uh, which is the awareness, surveillance, and uh, the prevention and advocacy and the prevention, we still are ravaged as Africa by rheumatic fever. And to me, this is very painful when one looks at countries which have got less uh, GDP than most of uh, South African countries, which have totally eradicated rheumatic fever. And then if one looks at the private sector, especially 
in South Africa, they have far advanced in terms of uh, the latest techniques and technology, like uh, TAVI, mitral valve clips, as well as, cardi as uh, cardiac resynchronization therapy. So a lot has advanced and a lot is being taught in cardiology. Unlike when we started cardiology in the, early, in the late 70s, early 80s in Africa. Thank you. And what are the main challenges today for African healthcare systems in terms of cardiology care? Main challenges today for African healthcare systems in terms of the cardiology care. One, as I said, uh, in rheumatic heart uh, disease is uh, a sequel of rheumatic fever eradication. I think if we can do that as Africa, uh, that would be a great stride in terms of cardiology care. Then the second one, we have not yet put our fingers in the past regarding systemic hypertension as well as its sequelae in terms of either strokes or renal diseases in Africa. Because in the public sector, managing these patients who complicate from systemic hypertension in terms of uh, renal transplants or just uh, the renal dialysis is quite expensive. And at times, certain countries in Africa are unable to afford because of the expense. Then the other one, it's just the unequalness of the health availability in most of the countries, including South Africa. If you look at those people who have medical aids versus those who don't have medical aids, it's easy for people with medical aids to can be seen and be treated with uh, great speed. Unlike those who don't have medical aids, who have to go and queue in some of either the healthcare centers, the primary healthcare hospitals, secondary healthcare hospitals, tertiary hospitals, and academic central hospitals, where a patient clocks in in the hospital around about six in the morning, only to leave for home late at about seven or later than that. To me, that is unacceptable. As Africa, we need to do something about that. Could you name some advanced technologies that are largely used today in Africa in the treatment of cardiac disease? And how do you see their prospects? Could we maybe expect some new breakthroughs in this field in the near future? Yes, I mean, some of the countries that can afford, they do have cath labs now, and also magnetic resonance uh, MRI scans to assess the function and the structure of the heart and even PET scan also to assess the, the structure and the function of the heart as well as when we looking at those patients who've got coronary artery disease we now can use advancements like here intravascular ultrasound the IVUS we also can use the OCT and then we can use things like the FFR and the IF IFFR for those patients in order to be able to quantify the magnitude of the coronary artery disease and be able to then can intervene with ease.
Are there any specific cultural or socioeconomic factors within Africa that influence the practice and outcomes of cardiology? Cultural factors, we have very diverse cultures, some of which they do not believe in the Western medicine. So then, therefore, you find that most of those people, they would rather go to the indigenous or African traditional healers or would want to go and be seen by the African healers and don't believe in the Western way of uh, looking and also managing their problems. Then the second one is culturally, they may not believe that some of the problems that they may have cardiac are mainly due to a cardiac problem. They may have some connotations to that, that it may be something to do with uh, witchcraft or it may be something to do with them being punished by the ancestors. So then that becomes very important to try and convince them that what you have is a problem that has something to do with the heart. Therefore, there are one ways of trying to assess it, how severe it is and how what problems it has already led to and therefore what the current treatment is for such a problem. But even there, you'll have to understand the cultural way. And one of the ways that one would advise is to be able, one, to speak their language, even if you're not fluent, but at least to be able to can, because I've, I've found that very reassuring. Socioeconomically, as I gave the example of rheumatic fever, that to me, it's one of our Achilles heel as Africa, that we still are ravaged by rheumatic fever, as well as systemic hypertension, as well as diabetes, which may lead to coronary artery diseases. Uh, So therefore you find that those who have may find it easy to can be assessed and be diagnosed much earlier on than those who don't have, who, as I said, We'll have to go and queue in a long queue in a primary health care center where you may find this oneness to over 100 sick people who have to be seen there. So to me, those are some of the problems that we have in Africa. Then the other thing that is very, very important, it's the entrenchment of primary health care, the preventative part I think we more, in most of the African countries, we more of uh, the curative uh, uh, scientists rather than to believe and also to teach the preventive part as well as health promotion. So I think that's the one thing. Then the other one in terms of influencing the practice and the outcomes For me, the outcomes, you find that the outcomes are much better for those who can afford, who have medical aids, or those who have connections. So I think, to me, that is one of the most painful part. Whereas those who do not have, can afford medical aids, then those are the ones who become derelicts, who then would find that they they may end up prematurely dying for something that could have been treated 
or even prevented. What role do you see for Russian technology and expertise in advancing cardiology care in Africa? I think there is room for that. However, the biggest problem may be the question of language. So if we can break the barrier of the language and therefore people interaction in a seamless way, I think there could be, but I think not only that the Russians will teach us more, but for me, that exchange of knowledge and exchange of expertise, it would do Africa uh, very good, especially those countries in the Southern Hemisphere. It would be very important that there is interaction and collaboration that is encouraged between them and the Russian counterparts, especially in the area of some of the investigations. And more importantly, if one would look at, if you want to eliminate rheumatic fever, up to now, what we have is either penicillin tablets or penicillin injections. So what about looking at uh, vaccine that these young kids, especially in the ripe age of rheumatic fever, with being 5 to 15, do we know whether or not specific vaccine for group A streptococcus could be the sole answer to us wiping off rheumatic fever? Then the next thing is hypertension. Do we know what sort of, what makes the systemic hypertension in the African population to be so ravaging? Are there any certain, are there any genes that make it to be so prevalent? So if from the Russian perspective, we can be able to can study those and therefore to have treatment uh, directed against those specific genes, maybe we can put a dent to one, the management of hypertension, and two, to the prevention of all the sequelae and the complications of systemic hypertension. Then the other one is, once a person may have, say, an ischemic stroke, so do we have anything that can help in the regeneration of the brain cells, the neuronal cells, in terms of angiogenesis? and thus reducing the ischemic area of infant and therefore improving and also quickening the recovery of these patients. Because if they become debilitated, then they become a burden not only to their family and also to the government because they then have to be taken care of and they permanently become dependent on the social grants and the disability grants. Dr. Mtoa, thank you very much, sir. As we conclude this episode dedicated to Dr. Christian Barnard and the world of cardiology, I cannot help but be inspired by the groundbreaking advancements and the incredible work being done by medical professions around the whole world. So a real huge thank you to every single one of you out there. From Cindy's insightful stories about Dr. Barnard's life to Dr. Mtoa's experience on the current state of cardiology in Africa, We have gained a newfound appreciation for the importance of this field in saving lives and improving the quality of life for countless individuals. I really hope this episode has sparked your curiosity and shed light on this 
truly remarkable progress being made in the world of cardiology, especially in Africa. So let us remember Dr. Barnard's pioneering spirit as we strive towards further breakthroughs in cardiac care and in medicine overall. So as I wrap up, I generally encourage you to explore more about this person's life and his contributions to the field of cardiology. Be sure to visit the museum in South Africa dedicated to his memory and learn more about his remarkable journey if you happen to pass by. In case you missed a part of this podcast, feel free to rewind on popular podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Deezer, CastBox, Pocket Casts, AfriPods, and Podcast Addicts. If you're more of a reader, then feel free to go to the Sputnik Africa website and enjoy the numerous articles we have there. However, for shorter digest, go ahead to our Sputnik Africa Telegram page, TikTok account, and other socials to get the juiciest information from across the globe. Remember, the heart beats not only within us, but also within the pursuit of knowledge, innovation, and compassion. Adieu, friends. Until next time. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.